So hi, this is Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast about beginnings, the beginnings of new ideas in science, new companies, uh, and in this case, uh, uh, whole new areas of uh, a fundamental human experience. I'm here with Mike Selden from Finless Foods, and this is, I think, our second, and maybe our third conversation, because we've been working together on this sort of since the beginning. Why don't you go over really quickly with folks what Finless uh, set out to do, what you're doing now, and uh, and then we can just sort of pick up the story from there. Yeah, so my name is Michael, co-founder and CEO of Finless, and what we set out to do is to create a future for seafood where the ocean thrives, and you know, it's like a big lofty statement, but basically what we do is we're a seafood company, and our mission is to create seafood that is sustainable and ethical, but we want to focus this not so much on the ethical consumers. We really want this to be something that's appealing to broad-based meat eaters so we can really shift the way humanity interacts with the ocean. So the key here is to create food that's not just sustainable and ethical, but that competes on market metrics. We want to make seafood that's the best tasting, the most affordable, the most nutritious, and the most convenient to get your hands on. And we think that we have the technology to get us there. So what we do um, and what we really specialize in is creating cell-cultured seafood. So that means taking a small sample of cells from a real fish, pulling it out of that fish, and then growing it up into an effectively unlimited amount of sashimi in order to give people um, fish meat that has no mercury, no plastic, doesn't destroy the ocean, um, and doesn't kill animals in the process. Um, all the while being on a cellular level, the same thing that people are eating today. So they don't have to compromise on all the things they currently buy fish on. What we're up to today is all sorts of things. Um, we're actually in anticipation of launching some of our cell cultured uh, bluefin. We're working on plant-based tuna as well. So we've been scaling that up in order to build ourselves as a brand, get relationships going with distributors, with operators, with the, you know, with consumers. Um, and you'll be seeing that on the market within the next few months, actually. So that's been a real process. We're also in the middle of constructing um, the world's first um, cell cultured tuna facility. We moved into that within the next two months. We're really excited to get it up and running and online. Um, and we're focused on getting regulatory approval. So running these plant-based tuna products to market, finishing the R&D in our cell-cultured products, all while getting regulatory approval and construction. Um, it's an exciting time. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it has been. And, uh, uh, and you know, when we first met, this was all just barely on the edge of being doable. And uh, now uh, it's becoming, I think, pretty widely accepted that it's going to be done. So let's talk specifically about tuna. Why tuna? And um, given what you're doing, plant-based, lab-based, which is not like tuna, but is tuna, what do you see happening from uh, here? Will you be doing both side by side? Will you have products that maybe have aspects of both? Uh, and when do you think the uh, uh, here's tuna that didn't come from the ocean will actually be something that folks will go out on Friday night and be able to have as sushi. Yeah, great set of questions. So we think tuna and specifically bluefin is the best move to market for any cell cultured company. We were the first cell cultured seafood company and like the third cell cultured anything right. company. We picked tuna on purpose because it's high price point makes it unique. Um, you know, for us getting to market with our bluefin, bluefin wholesales for about $40 a pound, which is massive. We're already at about price parity with restaurants. We're getting close to about $150 a pound for a pure cell cultured product. Um, but really this company will start to be a huge driver of the market when we get underneath $40 a pound. So, you know, that 
sets bluefin apart specifically. Tuna, it wholesales for about $15 a pound, which is still really high. Compare that to something like pork or chicken, that's single digit dollars per pound, usually under $5. It's, it's really cheap, especially when you go back to the producer level. The amount of money that producers of pork and chicken make is very, very low. The margins are very, very slim. So since we're basically taking medical technology, cell culture, molecular biology, tissue engineering, bioprocess engineering, and applying it to food, starting off with a luxury market makes the most sense. <clears throat> the difficulty here is that a lot of people um, don't have the ability to work in tuna. Finless really has this unique technology that allows us to create um, cell cultured equivalents for unfarmed and unfarmable species. There's currently no such thing as closed cycle tuna farming. So there isn't anyone out there who's raising tuna from start to finish and then selling that at a profit. Um, so we think that we can really revolutionize the entire tuna industry this way. And how this sits in terms of our plant-based product as well, we see the market, um, we see plants doing great, right? Like Impossible Foods has been a huge success. Beyond Meat has been a massive success. Um, but basically we think that plants are fantastic at ground product. And that's what these companies are really showing off. If you wanna make a hamburger, if you wanna make a hot dog, spicy tuna roll, anything up to poke in size, plants are fine. Um, the plant fibers don't really get so much in the way of the texture there. But we think that if you want to make something that's a whole muscle product, so anything sashimi on bigger towards steaks, fillets, we don't feel that plants can actually ever get us there. That's where animal cell culture comes in. These like muscle cells that we're building, they, you know, they splay out, they bind together to form uh, muscle fibers. And these muscle fibers drive texture in a way that plants really can't. So basically that's how we see the market bifurcating. We see plants covering sort of the ground product, lower end of things, hamburgers, hot dogs, spicy tuna rolls, et cetera. But once you hit sashimi and larger in size, that's where cell culture comes in. Got it. Uh, now, you know, as you guys approach the market price and some of the folks that we have uh, investments in, in uh, uh, bacon and other forms of meat are getting uh, to the market price. Um, one of the things that sort of intrigued me, maybe it's a sign of the times, I don't know, everybody views the negative on everything, is that instead of seeing uh, analysis and market reports that are celebrating this, here it comes. Food that isn't tied to land, fish that isn't tied to sea, pure, controllable, exactly what you'd want, the best you can imagine, and no animals suffer. What we're seeing instead are these reports that say, yeah, they can do it, but they're never going to be able to do enough of it to man that the bioreactor sizes are too small and the capacity is too small. And uh, so uh, as somebody who's always been way out front on this, uh, how do you react to that sort of uh, neo-Luddite view, which is, yeah, it's all just a tempest in a teapot. It's, uh, you know, five billionaires going to be able to do this, but it's never really going to be on the menu at every restaurant out there. I think, you know, it's a sign that the industry is maturing, right? Because now we actually have naysayers. Before you just saw these like puff pieces that were like, subculture meets the future, it's coming. And everyone just sort of looked at that and was like, I don't have any specifics. There's nothing to really grasp onto to critique. But now there is, I mean, we're a real industry with a serious amount of companies. You know, now there's over 50 companies globally in cell cultured meat that are funded oh, to like a large right. degree. Um, when we started, we were the third. So it's like, it's, right. it's a really big game changer. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about, for example, that article that came out in the counter, really long form article trying to do a takedown of our industry. Right. And um, I mean, first of all, I would look up the author and see what lobbies they're tied to, because it's pretty obvious <laughs> where their you know, allegiances lie in all of this. Um, 
but it makes sense. I mean, if you're, you know, in the beef industry, in the pork industry, yeah, you like maybe don't want this to happen. Um, this might actually end up hurting your bottom line at some point. We're lucky in working with tuna because tuna companies like uh, don't, they don't have any ability to increase production. They're looking for ways to do that. And they see this as like a model for moving forward and increasing tuna production globally. That's why we got investment from a Japanese tuna company. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, what's interesting about all of this is like, if you took those article, like this article from the counter, if you took the arguments in it and applied it to Tesla, basically the argument of like, well, this technology has not been scaled to the degree that it needs to be scaled. And these right. price points, while possible, have never been done before. Um, Tesla would not exist. And I think Tesla has been fairly successful. Has it replaced all cars completely? Not yet, but what was it like 10% of all sales of new cars or EVs this past year? That's massive. And Tesla was a big driver behind that shift. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that uh, it's good to naysay the naysayers a little yeah. bit. <clears throat> and taking that counter article in particular, because it's the one everyone's talking about, I don't know if I recommend reading it because, oh my God, it's like the longest thing I've read in a while on a news website. But it, um, it, it uses some like sort of assumptions that I don't quite agree with, but I would say to people that even if you take those numbers at face value, um, our investors really love this article because these numbers actually don't invalidate tuna at all. What the article basically says is there isn't today technology um, that is scaled up that can get you to the prices of commodity chicken and pork. And that's true. Um, that does not exist at scale today, um, but that it did not exist at, like when Tesla started either in order to like scale up batteries to the point where they needed them to create this fleet of cars. So, you know, I take that argument with a grain of salt, but basically even if the counter article is hundred percent true, um, Finless is an extremely viable company. We can not only compete very well with the blue pin market, but with the tuna market itself um, on its wholesale prices and do fine. That said, I think we can do better than that. I think, you know, eventually we can end up producing commodity level products, pork, chicken, whitefish, things like that, using this technology. Is this gonna take some time, effort? It's gonna take some investment, um, but it's very much within the realm of things that are physically possible. And it's all stuff that's been proven out in different fields, um, right. just hasn't been scaled up to where we need it to be yet. And, and I agree with you completely. And, and even before Tesla, you could go back to when the automobile was invented. Mm. And, and see the exact same arguments. It's cool, it's a widget. They can't build enough of them to make any difference. It's gonna be a toy of the rich. And oh, by the way, there aren't any roads and there won't be any roads. So you got one, but you can't do anything except driving around the estate. And it's all a tempest in a teapot. And then comes Henry Ford and uh, a whole new form of manufacturing. So I think in these cases, when the new emerges, there's often this spasm that uh, neglects to recognize the extraordinary breadth and flexibility of human creativity, that if something is made possible by science and humans want it, all of the intervening stuff one way or another will work out, and often in ways that are uh, very hard to predict. That, uh, mm. uh, uh, yeah, I didn't, don't remember anybody talking about sort of blended products at any point, and now we're starting to see them. So uh, yeah, I, uh, we're very much uh, uh, alongside you on this. And I think it's gonna get very interesting from here. Exactly, and we haven't even seen like, you know, <clears throat> there's definitely going to be some real innovation as this goes forward. Like all the numbers that anyone's talking about are assuming that this technology is going to remain exactly the same as animal cell production has for the past few decades. Right. Animal cell production on a large scale is only a few decades old. It's a very new field in general. 
which means that there's a lot of room for innovation. There's going to be a lot of massive like step changes in the way that we even think about these processes now that we're trying to scale them up in a way that we haven't before. Like animal cell culture exists at scale. Um, the largest facility on earth today is in Korea. It's owned by Samsung. Um, and it's, uh, I believe it is uh, 12, 15,000 liter bioreactors, which is big. Um, a facility of that size could provide all the bluefin for the entire west coast of the United States, going very far inland. So, you know, this stuff exists, but if that's the only facility, you know, imagine what happens when we have teams across the globe creating those facilities, optimizing them. We have flow of information by like hiring people, they move between companies, new technology gets developed in universities. Um, I think that we're really just seeing the absolute beginning of this. People scraping together this industry and this technology using anything that they can find that already exists. Once this becomes a really profitable thing, which it's right on the edge of doing, you know, we're right in the like the first um, regulatory approval just happened in Singapore very recently. Right. Um, you know, once that like fans out and more countries give regulatory approval to these products, I think that you'll see that like the entire way that we produce this is going to change completely yeah. in a really good direction. We are very much believers. So let's talk about the regulatory situation. The Singapore, as you said, is the place now where you can do this. What about here? What about other uh, uh, places? You've been uh, kind of very much in the forefront on regulation. How do you think that's going to play out? Yeah, so um, the, regula the regulation in the US has been, you know, the regulators have been working with us and they've been really, really great so far. Um, the FDA and USDA are the two real like food regulators in the United States. And they've created the FDA USDA Joint Committee on Cell-Based Meats in order to regulate our industry. Um, so we've been talking specifically with um, people at the FDA in terms of um, making sure that our new pilot facility is up to snuff. So, you know, we passed our initial blueprints through them. They gave us suggested edits. We had a few iterations back and forth. And now, you know, we're building this pilot facility, which we're moving into within the next two months, um, you know, up to their specifications. So we'll have their stamp of approval even as we build the thing. And what's really great about this also is that it's um, a modular process. So we can get basically just the raw cell material approved on its own. Then we can move forward and get it approved on a scaffold, then differentiated, then, you know, forming muscle fibers. So basically like they're really being great to us. Like they're not making us go through the entire process all at once with a fully finished product, not letting us do any iterations, period. Um, they're letting us file things separately, which is fantastic. Um, Outside of the US, there are even some regulatory systems that are a little further along. Um, you know, Singapore already passed a product to market um, and they have a fully set up regulatory system for cell cultured meat and seafood. Um, there are a few other countries that seem really close. I know that like um, the UAE has done a lot in terms of creating a regulatory system for cell cultured meat and seafood. Um, we're working with Japan who have taken like a really um, interesting and thoughtful approach to this industry. Um, Japan has created this thing called JECA, the Japanese Association for Cellular Agriculture, which sort of functions, you know, a little bit like a nonprofit, which gathers information from all of these for-profit companies in order to present them to the Japanese government, because they know that, you know, we don't speak Japanese and we're probably not going to hire a full-time Japanese speaker immediately and who knows, you know, regulatory law, um, you know, finding someone who's bilingual knows regulatory law. It's like a, a big ask for a company with um, no guaranteed return. So they're just trying to get themselves set up as fast as they can in order to accept this industry in their country. So we're psyched to have Japanese investors. You know, we also have a Japanese VC out of Tokyo, Yakumi, that have been really helpful with us. Um, so they're also moving very like interestingly towards this and they're doing it very holistically. Um, they're even pushing like the nomenclature conversation in as well, which a lot of other countries have kind of like kicked the can down the road on because it's dicey. Right. 
Um, so basically, it's exciting. I mean, like a bunch of different countries are moving very quickly towards this. Um, you know, Europe is definitely lagging behind. I think we'll see this here last uh, in Europe. <clears throat> but, you know, all over Asia, uh, in the Middle East, in America, um, things are moving very quickly and we're excited about it. Great. Uh, yeah, and we see that too. And again, I don't look like it, but we're Japanese. Uh, at least one of our funds is backed by uh, Japanese funds, and we have a lot of a relationship over there, and there's a lot of excitement about this there, as one can imagine. So with all this background, you've been pretty much as a startup, a fast mover. So uh, here we are at the Series B, and it seems like yesterday that um, there were hardly any of you in a little teeny nanny room in Berkeley. So talk about that some and, and where the company's at and what you uh, what this round looks like and what you hope it's going to help uh, help you achieve. Yeah, I mean we've come a long way. You know, it just started with myself and my co-founder Brian. Like we met in college eleven years ago. Uh, we went through IndieBio um, and then we you know set out and built this R and D facility that we're still working out of. But when we first built the place, it was seven of us. We went to like a used furniture store. We each bought our own like mismatched desk. Like we had all our employees just go in and pick whatever they wanted. And we just sort of splayed them out in this big empty space because it didn't matter. Now, uh, not the case. We had to end up getting rid of those desks, getting standardized desks in order to maximize space. Um, it's getting crowded in there. I, I lost my desk the other day. It was uh, given to a new hire. Uh, I had all of my things put in a cardboard box. So I had to walk out like I got fired. It was very funny. Uh, it was a really nice time. It was a good moment. You know, we've had a lot of those lately. Like, um, we are growing faster than we kind of can anticipate. Um, I, you know, just saw the first person in our like people software that I've never seen before. You know, I just saw this name was like, I have no idea who this person is, how to figure out what their title was. And I was like, I should go meet this person. I, I, this is the first time I really have not been involved in the hiring process for someone. So I'm still involved in the onboarding process. because I think it's important for me to like still get to know everyone that I can while we still have time for that. Um, but we're soon going to be past that point, um, you know, hiring as rapidly as we are, you know, closing this $34 million Series B. Um, we're now hiring another, uh, I believe, 50 people on top of the like 20 something that we already have. Um, it's just really exciting to be this fast growth. And it was really important that before this point, we just got this incredible team locked in of people that I really trust, have worked with for a while and know their working styles. So I can really delegate and make sure that I'm not the one doing everything as one of the founders, neither is my founder, uh, my co-founder, excuse me. Um, so it's it's been really great to like, just trust these people, set them up for success and have them do the good work of bringing in more of us to expand this company to a place where we can really um, be a powerhouse. It's uh, That's a really classic one, of course, that we hear all the time, that moment when the little teeny tiny team of you know, we few, we band of brothers is suddenly a company. And there are these strangers wandering around who have uh, important jobs and maybe even power and you don't know them and you shouldn't know them and you have to start doing things sort of by proxy through your team and it becomes organizational in uh, a sense. And that's one of the key passages that startups go through when they uh, are in that process of becoming real companies. So. Uh, so you got all this money now and you're getting all these folks. So if we did this again next year, what do you think we'll be talking about? What will we be talking about? Well, <laughs> we're releasing this plant-based product early on in 2022. Um, I'm really excited about it. Like, and now we actually have like marketing people, salespeople, we have like a brand. 
So I'll be talking about like what the rollout and what the launch has been like, uh, what it's like to work with real operators, distributors, chefs, restaurateurs. Um, and then, you know, near the end of next year, we're hoping to like, we're, we're seeing if we can get regulatory approval. So at that point, we might be talking about really like selling the cell culture product, not just the plant-based product. I'm really excited about that as well. Um, there's a lot to learn. You know, I, I think a lot of companies in our industry are really minimizing how difficult it is to become a food company and to actually have all those capabilities on board. Like marketing and sales are just as complicated as any of the science that we do. Right. And like, it's really important to pull in the exact right people, people that fit culturally, people that have experience in the verticals that you're moving towards. And food is complicated. Um, and it's, you know, it's hard to find the right people if you're an outsider. Like, I'm a biochemist, you know, I don't have a food background really. I have an ag background, which is, is different. And even though people lump them together. So um, I think we'll be talking a lot about just like what it's like to be a food company rather than being a biotech startup. And that's the transformation that we're trying to make in the next year. Got it. Well, we'll look forward to that. So we did it before, we're doing it now. We should do it again. Um, uh, it's been a great ride so far. I have to tell you, uh, we invest in companies for return. We're investors. But we also invest in companies, particularly in new areas for learning. And you have been a great teacher. Um, I feel like I can actually have a reasonable conversation about this science, this area of new food production. And in large measure, sure, that's been stuff that you taught me. You've taught us. Uh, uh, it's been, uh, from our perspective, a great relationship in all those aspects. And he helped us learn about the space so we could invest in other companies and then learn from them and be part of all this. And really for us, it started with you. Thank you so much. That is like the nicest thing anyone said to me in a while. I really appreciate that. Um, and it's been mutual, you know, I mean, you all have been so helpful, like you and Bill and Nicole and the whole team, like hooking us into just a really wide network of people that have been helpful for us in like a hundred different ways. I mean, like we probably wouldn't have even been able to raise this round without you, you know, and the last one you were incredibly pivotal. And if, if you remember that, like yeah. this has been a, a great relationship on our side. And also, I mean, like we learned from you in terms of what it's like to build a company. Like I understand how to build Finless, but I only know how to do that because you all know how to build companies and you have like this really broad like set of experiences, your portfolio with all these other companies that like, um, do things in similar areas to us, or even people who do things that are totally unrelated. I've learned a lot from that as well. Um, so yeah, thank you. Well, you're welcome. So we, we're running the risk of becoming insufferably uh, co-praising of one another. <laughs> exactly. That's probably as good a place to uh, to wrap this particular conversation. Uh, exciting times. Uh, can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, a congratulations on the raise, and uh, 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 I am eagerly looking forward uh, to uh, tuna sashimi from your guys at Omakase places all over the place. Same here. Thanks a lot for having me on, Mike. I appreciate it. Sure thing. Talk soon. Bye.